Chapter Twelve of the Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve Through the Grill. A confession! I cried. Something to do with this murder. Where did you get it? Who did you get it from? I'll tell you all about it, said Geoffrey. I'd like to see what you think, because I never was more puzzled in my life he smoked half the cigarette before he said anything more i sat still and waited i knew what he had to tell me would be worth waiting for but if you and richards think he began again that i've been lying on flowery beds of ease spinning theories you're very much mistaken i've been doing the grimiest kind of detective work including an attempted burglary i've been scared at a conservative estimate out of three years growth i've followed false leads oh richards would sympathize with me if he knew the whole story why didn't you tell him i asked i'm not ready yet said Geoffrey. you'll see plainly enough when i get through you said you followed a false lead said i were you looking up the woman too the barton woman no said Geoffrey. i had to have some colour of probability about what i was looking for that barton woman's confession wouldn't have deceived a child no i started in on the jap the man who played the organ at the seance Geoffrey nodded it cost me four solid days he said and got me nowhere oh it was interesting enough in itself and it did throw an interesting sidelight or two on irene fournier's character but it doesn't unlock our mystery that fellow's at the head of a regular secret service a sort of blackmail syndicate he's as much feared in certain quarters as any man in new york i got a hint from richards himself when i realized what an unhealthy lot togo knew about my affairs everybody treats japanese servants like that we know so little about their concerns that it never occurs to us that they're taking an interest in ours but the japanese is a born spy it's perhaps the most conspicuous talent he possesses this fellow had genius enough to organize it there are thousands of japanese servants in this country and apparently a good proportion of them report to this chap the spiritualists and divorce while you wait lawyers would be nowhere without him but he seems to have met his match in irene she used him to hook miss meredith and to get my portrait and she must have had some hold on him or she wouldn't have dared play fast and loose with him the way she did evidently she gave him the slip completely he stayed on with mrs barton apparently in the hope of picking up the trail there again even after he discovered that irene was murdered he evidently hoped to pick up something big in a blackmailing way i doubt if he thought barton did it or the game wouldn't have seemed worth the candle but it is equally evident that he thought barton knew some things that would interest him there i am inclined to agree with him we may run across him again or we may not my guess is that he pulled out of the affair altogether when he found us in it he took up four perfectly good days of my time anyway Geoffrey fell into another long thoughtful silence and finally i prompted him well said i what did you do next 
the next thing i did said jeffrey was to get that frame back from the decorator who stole it and pay the poor devil a hundred dollars under the law i believe that's compounding a felony but it's making a friend anyway and that's more important i mounted the portrait in the frame had it boxed up wrote crow a note telling him that i was sending it to miss meredith's town address and that i would call the next day that's yesterday i said in the note that i was very anxious to see miss meredith as i thought i had some things to tell her that would interest her i told him that i understood that he hadn't felt it wise heretofore that an interview should take place between miss meredith and myself but that i thought there were important reasons why he should reverse his decision i made it as clear as i know how that i meant business just the thing i should think to put him on his guard said i if he's got any subterranean reason for avoiding such an interview exactly said jeffrey with a nod i meant to put him on his guard i got a polite note from him by a special messenger late that same afternoon saying that miss meredith would be glad to see me when i got that i put a suit of pajamas in a bag and caught the night boat up the river you what i exclaimed of course he said if i really meant to see her i shouldn't have written any note i'd have taken the portrait in a taxi and gone to the house without any warning i felt pretty sure that when he knew i was coming he'd send miss meredith out for a drive or convince her that she wasn't strong enough to leave her bed receive me himself when i called and entertain me with a polite excuse that i couldn't probably quarrel with by that means he'd get the portrait which undoubtedly he wants and at the same time deprive me of any excuse for repeating my visit then you didn't want to see miss meredith said i why yes i've wanted to see her for some time but there was something just then i wanted more drew do you believe in the atmospheres that hang about places i don't know that i believe in them myself but i feel it i wanted to see the country house where miss meredith lived the place where i understand she stayed all last summer and late into the fall do you know where it is she lives i don't believe i do said i jeffrey looked at me fixedly she lives he said at a place called beech hill it's ten or twelve miles from silver springs up the river from silver springs there's something familiar about that name said i but i don't place it silver springs he said is where that ice-cutter found the body of well we'll go on calling her irene fournier for a while yet just to be on the safe side jeffrey i gasped you don't mean that irene fournier is only another name for for claire meredith no i don't mean that yet i mean exactly what i say that for the present we'll go on calling her irene fournier and beech hill miss meredith's country place is that near the river jeffrey nodded about ten miles up as i said the suggestion fairly made my head spin i cast my mind back in an endeavour to fit the facts we had about her about the mysterious vision jeffrey had had in paris with this new theory of his he saw what i was doing and interrupted me 
don't stop to think yet he said listen that old house beech hill has been drawing me like a magnet i didn't know exactly what i expected to find there but i knew as well as i knew anything that if i could prowl around there by myself if i could get into that old house on any pretext or no pretext at all and see the background to the picture that some of the things that must have happened in the foreground of it would begin to soak through richards would laugh at that wouldn't he but i tell you drew it's gospel truth but why in the world if that was what you wanted did you make the appointment with miss meredith geoffrey gave his head the little shake i was so familiar with it does seem rather a fool thing to have done because i suppose i might have anticipated exactly what happened of course what i wanted is plain enough i wanted to give crow something to amuse himself with i wanted to make sure that he'd be in town that day on the job i had an idea that he'd been showing a certain amount of interest in my movements lately i didn't want him opening the front door when i rang the bell at beech hill prepared to tell him that i was a house agent or something of that sort and i thought my note the surest way of nailing him down in new york you don't mean to tell me i exclaimed that he outguessed you figured out what you meant to do and got to beech hill ahead of you no he didn't do that he did a perfectly obvious thing a thing so obvious that i never thought of it but wait let me tell you the story in order my first plan was to take the evening train up to oldborough spend the night there and drive out to beech hill in the morning but at the last minute i changed my plan i saw by the papers that they'd just started running the night boats up there and that offered several advantages it cut out both the railroad station and the hotel two good places to avoid if you're also trying to avoid observation and then the fog on the river these first mild days is good to look at i generally sleep pretty well on anything that's moving so i counted as another advantage a good night's sleep he laughed ruefully didn't you get it i asked i got said he what i really think was the most horrible abominable night i ever had in my life i tried to go to bed early to begin with and that's always a mistake got into my bunk turned out the light and began waiting for sleep about two hours before its scheduled time to arrive there couldn't have been many passengers but with the typical intelligence of his class the purser put me in a stateroom next to one that was occupied there was nothing but a thin wooden partition between going up to within six inches of the ceiling and that space was left open and grilled for purposes of ventilation though what is gained by ventilating one stateroom into another i never could see i noticed before i turned off my light that one piece of the wire grill was broken and had been taken out i had a notion to ask for another room but i hate to act like a fidgety old woman when i travel so i made the best of it and went to bed the adjoining stateroom was dark at that time the occupants of it having evidently come aboard early and gone to bed because i heard a murmur of voices even then two women's voices nothing they really said came through 
for they'd evidently noticed my light and were talking low on purpose but the inflections of one voice were somewhat commanding and the other a little servile some lady and her maid i judged them to be or companion well the sound of their voices was rather soothing than otherwise and the throb of the boat was rather pleasant i got my muscles relaxed and my pillows comfortable and was i thought on the point of pitching off to sleep when i heard a thin little tittering laugh it came from the next stateroom drew there was something horrible about it you may think that's imagination or nerves post-impressionism developed from something that happened afterwards but i tell you it wasn't the sound of that laugh made my blood run cold it wasn't loud nor prolonged nothing like the bursts of maniacal laughter that jane eyre used to hear but somehow it didn't belong with those quiet well-bred voices i heard it was as disconnected as if it had been a phonograph record i sat up in my bunk with the sweat standing out all over me there was a rustle in the next room that sounded as if someone was getting out of the upper berth and then the quiet voices went on again well i lay down swore at myself and told myself to go to sleep but it wasn't two minutes before the laugh came again it wasn't any louder this time but it lasted longer and the repetition didn't make it any the less horrible i heard one of the voices after that but the other didn't speak one of the two natural voices i mean pretty soon though another voice spoke the same voice that had laughed spoke through a horrible sort of giggle what it said was dead she's dead and then it laughed again the one natural voice that was left began talking in a soothing sort of way but the laughing voice went on paying no more attention than well that's the only simile i can think of a phonograph it had something of that quality too that horrible lifeless squeak the light went up in the other stateroom then of course it shone perfectly plain through the open space at the top of the partition and that relieved the situation a little it seemed to make it possible for me to stay there i confess i had been on the point of bolting when it was turned up i heard the clink of a spoon against glass too and that suggestion that someone was getting a dose of medicine had a quieting effect on my nerves too although the medicine itself didn't affect the patient immediately the phonograph voice went on for quite a little while just saying over and over again dead she's dead and giggling but presently its tone got more querulous the giggle stopped i guess i ought to know she's dead it said i killed her myself killed her with a pin then it got a note of terror in it and made a dry choking little cry i killed her i tell you i i i it kept rising higher and higher almost to a shriek and then suddenly it stopped in a muffled gasp as if the nurse if the sane person present in there was a nurse had clapped something over its mouth perhaps a pillow i suppose the medicine took effect then because that muffled gasp was the last sound i heard but by that time i wanted some of the dope myself pretty badly a maniac is not a pleasant person to encounter at the best but somehow 
not seeing anything just hearing through that little wooden partition made it all the worse i was a fool not to get up and dress and go on deck but i've got a spunky sort of streak in me that hates to admit that i'm beaten and i made up my mind to put myself to sleep by main brute strength of will i lay still and kept my eyes shut and tried to keep my muscles relaxed i suppose it was two hours before anything more happened though it seemed six the next thing that happened was this geoffrey got out of his chair and shook himself with a little laugh oh it would have been funny if my nerves weren't so near the breaking point i suppose it is funny still but i was lying there perfectly still hadn't heard a sound and all at once something like a tiny hand oh smaller than a baby's no bigger than a doll's but very cautious and skilful took hold of one of my eyelids and tried to lift it i don't mind admitting i yelled i was out of bed and had the light on in about the sixteenth of a second and of course for five seconds after that i couldn't see anything because the light blinded me gradually i got my eyes in focus and there squatting on a corner of my bunk right beside the pillow oh it was nothing horrible it was a baby raccoon brown and fluffy with its long pointed nose and its bright shiny little eyes pointed straight at me for a minute or two i couldn't get my bearings couldn't understand how the thing could have got in the grating over the window was intact and then i thought of the broken grille opening into the next state room i looked around and saw the light had gone up in that room too they had probably been aroused by my yell well it would have aroused anything but the dead i felt foolish and that made me feel furious i moved over toward the little beast somewhat too suddenly and it scuttered away jumped up on the washstand and from there on top of the mirror and disappeared through the broken grill all in about a second i waited for a scream from there because of course i couldn't be sure the little beast was at home there but evidently it was for they took his coming quietly enough well i didn't turn out the light after that but i got back into bed and pulled up all the blankets because i was cold all through i had never been so terrified in my life the possibility of going to sleep after that never occurred to me but presently the grey of the dawn began to come in and that is the signal for insomniacs the world over the first thing i knew the steward was rapping on my door telling me it was seven o'clock when i had got up and dressed and before i left the boat i took a look into the next stateroom but it was perfectly empty the bed all made as if no one had been in there for a week i felt like the devil after the night i had had and had half a mind to give up my trip and take the next train back to new york but i thought better of it hired a team of horses in surrey and drove out to beech hill End of chapter twelve